Turn with your Bibles with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 12 through 26. 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning at verse 12 and going through verse 26. Just to uh, give a, a bit of context, in the first part of chapter 8 that we've already looked at, um, Solomon assembles all the leaders and the people of Israel in order to bring the ark up from the city of David to the newly completed temple. And the ark is brought to that place, to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place. And the priests, uh, when they had finished uh, setting the ark in its place, uh, experienced the uh, fact that they were no longer able to continue to minister in that place because the glory of the Lord filled the house. The cloud filled the house of the Lord. And we read of that in verse 10 of chapter 8. And then the, uh, says, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This is a wonderful and a, a great event in the history of God's dealings with his people Israel. It is the culmination of the work of God uh, for his people, redeeming them from uh, slavery in Egypt, uh, bringing them eventually into the promised land, choosing that place where he will bestow uh, his presence and his glory in Jerusalem and then on uh, the mount where the temple would be built and the, the glory of God fills that place. And uh, now in the verses that we are going to look at tonight, we're going to read the words of Solomon that were spoken at this time. And uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but only the verses that I mentioned. Uh, it's a fairly long address that is given, but it's gonna, we're going to break it up. But uh, here in chapter 12, Solomon uh, says, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth. To David, my father, saying, Since the day that I brought up my people, Israel, out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all of the tribes of Israel, in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my David my father, 
Whereas it was your, in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel. As the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, And he spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David my father what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me, as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given to us this portion of your word to consider tonight. We pray for your Holy Spirit's help in understanding it and applying it in our own hearts and lives. We pray, O Lord, that these words would be living words to us, and we ask your blessing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is a truly uh, grand occasion that we are reading about uh, this evening. And the words that Solomon has spoken express his desire to lead Israel in blessing the Lord for the fulfillment of his promises to them. And so I'd like to look at this uh, part of the word of God under three headings. First, Solomon blesses the Lord for fulfilling his word. Second, Solomon blesses the Lord for graciously dwelling with his people Israel. And third, Solomon asks the Lord that this steadfast love that he has shown to his people Israel would be shown in the future through the obedience of the kings that would follow. Those are the three divisions. So first of all, we notice that this section of Solomon's uh, words are words which he speaks first 
to the Lord and then to the people of Israel, leading them in worship. This is a grand worship service. And you notice in verse 12, then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And then in verse 14, we read that the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And then he gives the follow words that follow. And so Solomon here first addresses the Lord, and we'll look at verse 12 more closely in a moment. But then he turns and he addresses the people and he leads them in giving thanks to God. For to bless the Lord is to thank him for all his blessings and his faithfulness to us. One primary example of that in the Bible, uh, a notable example, is Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, we have, have these words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist proceeds to uh, delineate those benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It is one of the primary joys of the people of God to raise their voices in thanking him and blessing him for all of those things which he has bestowed upon them freely in his grace. And this is what Solomon is doing. He begins by saying, Blessed be the Lord, verse uh, 15. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father. I'd like for you to just focus in on those words. Who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth. God has promised something, he has spoken, and he has fulfilled what he promised and has brought it about. That is what Solomon is saying. And uh, this phrase is mentioned, as I just said, in verse 15, but also verse 24, where Solomon repeats the same language. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Through the gifts that God has provided the people of Israel, the bestowal of so great blessings, the Lord has fulfilled what he had promised to his people Israel. 
And Solomon leads the people in praising God and thanking him for that. So ought we also to do each and every day to remember the path that God has led us on, to remember the way in which God has shown us his faithfulness. Solomon does that. He leads the people in this. It is a wonderful thing to consider. But what Solomon here is saying is that there is a complete consistency between the word spoken with the mouth of God and the deeds done by the hand of God. There is a complete correlating consistency between what God has spoken and what he has brought about by his hand. And that is what he is saying, and he's calling our attention, and he's calling Israel's attention to this. We may firmly trust that all that God has promised to you, he will, by his hand, and by, by hand, his power. By his power, he will do it. That God has done this in the past leads us to believe that he will continue to do so in the future. One commentator, Ralph Davis, says his fidelity breeds expectancy. What a great and wonderful thing. We live in hope. We don't live in cynicism or despair. But we have hope And we have hope because we believe that God has made great and glorious promises to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And his hand will always do that which he has spoken. And though it is that we experience great difficulty and grief and sorrow at times, yet we have confidence in God that even in the our wilderness, even in the wilderness of life, all these things work together for good. Yes, for good. Yes, for good. All these things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, this is not true of mankind, and it is not true of idols. This is what sets the God of Israel apart from all idols. In the pagan world, if a pagan deity assured you a blessing, you could never be sure some other deity might step in and prevent it. So it is with all false gods. When we worship false gods, when we bow before the god of beauty, the god of intelligence, the god of wealth, power, drugs, or sex, When we worship these gods, the advertising is good. But if you sell your soul for them, it will leave you empty and a hollow shell, devoid of all truth, all honor, and all goodness. But that is not true of the blessings of God. The blessings of God are real and substantial. Place your faith in him, and you can know for certain that that which he speaks with his mouth, 
he accomplishes. And from the time of Israel's wanderings, deliverance from Egypt, and then their wanderings in the wilderness, God had borne with his sinful people, but he had never, he never forsook them, never left them, and brought them into the promised land again and again, uh, blessing them in his grace and his mercies. All the idols of this world uh, that tempt us so never accomplish that. They never bring us to true joy. They never bring us true satisfaction. They never bring us life. But the God of Israel, Solomon is saying, blessed be the Lord, for he has fulfilled with his hand, by his power, everything that he has spoken. And if he's done it in the past, he will do it again. Secondly, consider with me the fact that Solomon blesses the Lord for graciously dwelling with his people. These words are spoken right after the glory cloud had descended upon the most holy place. And Solomon here tells us in verse 12 that God dwells in thick darkness. Now that phrase, the dwelling in thick darkness, is a reference to God's coming upon Mount Horeb or Sinai. If you read Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, you'll find the description there of the mountain as being wrapped in darkness. God's descent upon the mount caused the people to stand far off, and we read these words, Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Solomon refers to this in verse 12 when he is speaking to God. He says, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. And that uh, reference is to uh, the uh, revelation of God at Sinai. And yet now God comes in the midst of his people and bestows his glory upon this most holy place of the temple. The glory cloud fills the temple, and God dwells graciously in close proximity and in intimacy with his people. By doing that, uh, he fulfills what he had always intended and desired when he delivered them from Egypt. Uh, right after the Exodus, right after the revelation of God at, uh, at Horeb, God said these words, let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. And uh, in Exodus 29, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may might dwell among them. It was God's purpose in redemption. The purpose of redemption is that God and Israel would share a home together. 
an amazing thing that the creator of the universe who is incomprehensible and transcendent and far beyond our ability to grasp or understand, that this one who is the creator, who is infinitely removed from us, yet condescends to live in near fellowship with his creature. I will dwell among them. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I will walk among you. I will be your God. And you shall be my people. All the privilege, all the wonder of being in fellowship with God to know that he desires to have that kind of a close and intimate fellowship with us and that he wants to walk among us, that we would know him. It is not merely to be a Christian, it is not merely to profess certain things. It is to be in fellowship, much as a marriage union is a relationship of intimacy. So for God to dwell with Israel is, in a sense, to be married to them, to live in that kind of close fellowship. Do you know the living God of Israel? Do you know him as the source of your blessedness? Do you live in close fellowship with him? And do you know his love. To be in fellowship with God, the one who is the creator of the universe, the one who is all-powerful and all-wise and infinitely good, is to have at our, our, as a resource for us to draw on at all times, in those times when we are most empty, most weak, most feeble, to cry out to him, For he has promised to be a God to us, to be our God, to be possessed by us in that kind of way. That he would be the one that we would look to and that his name would be upon us. And that's another thing that we notice in this text, how God promises here, uh, the, the promises that his name that the house is built for the name of the Lord our God, that his name would dwell there. Did you notice the repetition of that? The name of God. And that the name of God is actually the revelation of God himself. Uh, there's a, a, a passage in uh, Exodus where uh, God tells Israel that Uh, They are to uh, pay close attention to everything that the angel that guards them on the way uh, tells them. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. And then the, uh, the reason for that is that the name, my name, is in him. And here uh, Solomon is saying that this house and this place is built and so, so that God's name is there. God's glory the revelation of who he is, his attributes, all 
that he is, all that is in God is his name, and he reveals that to us. And it's wonderful to think that that is most beautifully uh, expressed in the way that the name of the Lord resides in that other descendant of David. Uh, Solomon here says that he fulfills uh, the promise that God made to his father David. The actual fact of it, if, if you read those words, you know as you're reading them that Solomon doesn't understand it yet, but the, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfills those words. The Lord lies behind it. God is transcendent, and yet his name he has given to Israel. And his presence he has given to Israel, his presence he has given to you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't live far away. He's not far removed, though sometimes we may feel it to be the case. God is ever near. God is ever near to you. And uh, that's, the, that's a, the truth, I think, that is revealed in God's dwelling with his people. He dwells with us. And uh, he does so in Christ Jesus and through the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us. Thirdly, I'd like for us to notice that Solomon here, uh, as he blesses the Lord for his past faithfulness, so he asks in the, in the uh, prayer that is offered to God in verses 22 and following, where he says in verse 23, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And I want you to notice that, that here he says, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. At this time in Solomon's life, he is doing so. He says, you have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. The Lord's keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to David meant that David lived out his life as king in fellowship. He walked with God. He walked before him with all his heart. That was true of David. And at the time of, that Solomon is speaking, it is true of Solomon. And Solomon is saying, as you have done this in the past, what you spoke by your mouth, you fulfilled with David, my father. Now verse 25, keep 
for your servant David, my father, what you promise him, that there will be always one to sit on the throne of Israel. Verse 25b, if only your son pay close attention to their way to walk before me. So what is Solomon saying? His expectancy and his prayer is that the God who kept covenant with his father, David, will for he himself and for the kings that follow incline their hearts to keep the word of God. And I would refer you to verses 56 and 58 of, the, of this section of, of, of this chapter, which is a little bit beyond what we, are, we read tonight, but express uh, what Solomon is asking for. He says that the, may the Lord be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. And what does that look like? that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded to our fathers. And we're reminded that even in Psalm 103, we read, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And Solomon recognizing that there is a call to obedience, and there is a condition to this promise, that God will, of necessity, incline their hearts to be obedient. And so we ought also to pray. So we ought also to pray. And to realize that if we are to be obedient, it is because of the supernatural working of God. It is God who must do it. And the gospel of the, gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that God has taken care of the matter of our obedience in two ways. First, he sent his son to obey God's law for you. The requirement of complete and perfect obedience is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He sent his son to obey God's law for you. And second, he sent his Holy Spirit to enable you now to obey God from the heart. Joyously thankful for what God has done for us in Christ trusting not in anything that we do, but only in what God has done for us in Christ. It is all God's doing. And that's what Solomon realizes as he prays. Faithfulness and obedience is only something that God can bring about. And we find this uh, spoken of as one of the great blessings of the new covenant, as we read earlier in uh, Romans chapter 7. So in Romans chapter 8, we read, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul writes to Christians throughout his epistles, 
that it is God who works in them to will and to do. It is God who gives them the desire and the inclination and the will to live for him. Has God given that to you? Do you desire and do you, are you, is your heart inclined? You want to live in obedience to God. And it is God who will enable you as you pray to him and asking him that he would give you power to complete that inclination, that desire, that every resolve that you make, and Paul uses this language in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 where he tells the believers in Thessalonica God that he prays that God would make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And that's the key. That's the key to recognize that God has provided a perfect obedience for us in Christ. And then out of gratitude for what he has done for us in Christ, resolving to trust that God by his power will enable us also to glorify him. So on the one hand, we are called upon, and the kings of Israel were called upon, to live in covenant with God to be obedient and observant of his commandments. So God, by his spirit, enables the believer to be obedient. But it is the result of God's working in him as we diligently seek to follow after God and to be obedient to his commandments. But that is why it is the case that we cannot trust in our own obedience or our own good works or law-keeping, but only entrust ourselves to Christ. Only his works are good enough. And that's where that, prom- that prayer is headed. The prayer of Solomon here is headed. He is praying for the king to come that will fulfill perfectly and completely what God desires for all of his children. And he will do it uh, for them as their head and representative. And he will enable them to live for him. May God enable us to do that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the way in which uh, this uh, we are reminded here of your faithfulness in keeping your promises. Uh, the, the, the fact that we can know for certain that you will fulfill everything that you have promised, that it is not left uh, to human weakness, but that it has been accomplished all by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, O oh Lord, we pray, that even as we look to him this night, that you would enable us to know that all of our righteousness is in him and that you will also grant to us that we might live in fellowship, walking before you in fellowship 
with the living God by your grace and mercy. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord.